Okay, well, welcome back to Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I'm Jeanette de Beauvoir, and today I want to talk about literature, and not just about literature itself, but the power it holds. So the title of this podcast today is, Can Literature Change the World, and Can It Change You? And I'm going to start by answering my own questions up front. Yes, I believe that stories can change us. And I believe that stories can change the world. But it's not as simple as you might think. One doesn't just look at words on a page and understand what there is there to understand. Reading has to be active, not passive. Roland Barthes has famously remarked that literature is the question minus the answer. I love that phrase. Literature is the question minus the answer. So you have to be ready for some challenges, some ambiguity, even some blank walls. Literature isn't a main course of a lovely dinner. You have to embrace it. You have to interact with it. You even have to internalize it in some ways. And that, my friends, is where the magic happens. Because to my mind, what we're talking about here is the richest discipline out there. Let's step back for a moment though and first start with a story or maybe a series of stories because that's what human history amounts to. Alexander the Great was groomed to be the leader of Macedonia. This small kingdom in northern Greece was perpetually at war with its neighbors, above all Persia, which meant that Alexander had to learn how to lead armies into battle when he was still very young. When his father was assassinated, Alexander ascended the throne and quickly secured not only the safety of his own kingdom, but also defeated the entire Persian Empire, conquering a vast realm that stretched from Egypt all the way to northern India. Now, I won't argue that Alexander's military might didn't carry the day, but I will argue that some of his success had nothing to do with swordsmanship. He had learned to read and write by studying the Iliad. When Alexander embarked on his conquests, Homer's story of an earlier Greek expedition to Asia Minor served as a blueprint. And Alexander even stopped at Troy, even though the city had absolutely no military significance, just so he could cosplay some scenes from the Iliad. The influence between the Iliad and Alexander went both ways. Having drawn inspiration from the epic, Alexander turned Greek into the common language of a large region, thus laying the infrastructure for turning the Iliad into something we call these days world literature. And Alexander's successors were the ones to build the great libraries of Alexandria and Pergamum that would preserve Homer and others for the future. It was proof, all of this was proof, that stories can have significance outside the pages of a book. The philosopher Plato challenged the arts, quote-unquote, to show that it not only gives pleasure, but is beneficial both to the constitutions and to human life. Like Plato himself, Aristotle believed that poetry could arouse not only intense emotional responses, but equally could inspire people to become better persons. 
Now, the Iliad was typical of early works in other cultures as well. There was the Epic of Gilgamesh in Mesopotamia, or the Mayan Popol Vuh. This epic literature served as a common reference point for entire cultures telling their audience where they came from and who they were. But not all literary traditions begin with epic narratives of kings and conquests. Chinese literature is based on the Book of Songs, a collection of deceptively simple poems that have since accrued a large body of interpretation and commentary. Poetry is not only the province of professional poets. An aspiring bureaucrat of China's vast government apparatus had to pass through the rigorous imperial examination system, which required a detailed knowledge of poetry. And higher government officials were expected to be able to dash off casual poems on a whim. Imagine what life would be like if the people we elect to our, our governments today had to also be poets. The Book of Songs enshrined poetry as the most important form of literature across East Asia. And in fact, when Japan sought cultural independence from China, it did so by creating its own poetry collection. The importance of poetry also shaped one of the first great novels in world literature, The Tale of Genji. Its author had to teach herself Chinese poetry by spying on her brother's lessons with a tutor since women were not expected to know Chinese literature. When she became a lady-in-waiting at the secretive court of Japan, she used this knowledge to compose a portrait of life at court, full of detail and psychological insight, producing a masterpiece that grew to over a thousand pages. To give her novel a status of high literature, she included nearly 800 poems. As more and more parts of the world became literate, new technologies, above all paper and print, increased the reach and influence of written stories. Both inventions lowered the cost of literature, which meant that new groups of readers could have access to written stories. And new readers meant new stories started to appear, catering to these readers' tastes and interests. This development was particularly visible in the Arabic world, which had acquired the secret of making paper from China and turned it into a thriving industry. For the first time, stories that had only been told orally made it into writing and were assembled in story collections, such as the Thousand and One Nights. More varied than the older epic stories or poetry collections, the 1001 Nights provided both entertainment and education pretty much in equal measure, framed by the unforgettable story of Scheherazade and the king who had sworn to kill any woman after spending only one night with her. Faced with the prospect of certain death, Scheherazade began to tell story after story until the king was so mesmerized he found himself cured of his murderous oath, making Scheherazade not only his queen, but also truly the hero of storytelling. Poetry collections, story collections, and epic tales cast a long shadow over subsequent literary history. When the Italian poet Dante Alighieri set out to capture and elaborate the Christian view of hell, purgatory, and heaven, he chose the form of epic poetry, thus competing with classical authors. 
Cleverly, he put Homer in limbo since Homer had the misfortune of living before Christ. But the single greatest change in the fortunes of literature occurred with the invention of print in Northern Europe by Johannes Gutenberg. He did not actually invent the printing press, he was drawing on Chinese techniques. But he's the one who ushered in the era of mass production and mass literacy that we enjoy today. In terms of literature, that era came to be dominated by the novel named for its quote-unquote novelty, despite, as we've seen, having important predecessors. Now, novels didn't have the baggage associated with ancient forms of literature and therefore allowed new types of authors and readers to emerge, especially women who used the flexible form to grapple with the most pressing questions of modern society. Political independence required cultural independence, and novels proved the best way of gaining it. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein stands at the beginning of what would come to be known as science fiction, torn between the utopian promise of science and its destructive potential. The political dystopias of George Orwell's 1984 and Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale are more recent examples of that same tradition. At the same time, though, the novel was used by new and emerging countries to assert their independence, as happened during what we call the Latin American boom in the 1960s with Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude, a multi-generational novel hoping to capture an entire culture. Political independence required cultural independence and novels proved the best way of gaining it. While these and many other authors profited from the era of mass literacy, the printing press also made it easier to control and censor literature. So there's definitely a dark side here. This became, of course, a particular problem for authors living in totalitarian regimes, such as Nazi Germany or the Soviet Union, where systems of underground publication developed in order to evade censorship. That continues today. And we are also, at the same time, living through yet another revolution in writing technologies, one at least as important as the invention of paper and print in China or the reinvention of print in Northern Europe. The internet is changing how we read and how we write. It's changing how literature spreads. It's changing who has access to it. We stand at the beginning of a new era of writing and literature. And as you know, through this little glimpse of history, the written world is bound to change yet again. So thank you for staying with me through this whirlwind tour of the impact of literature through human history. But now I'd like to talk about how you can incorporate an appreciation of the power of literature into your own reading and thinking practices. And the best place to start is with the literature of your native country. Most cultures have a rich literary opus, and that's a great way to learn about your heritage, to appreciate the voices that are most like your own, and to find out what it means to be someone in your life, in your place, in your time, in your culture. And while it's fun to pick up a book or a story randomly during the day, you may find it useful to dedicate a block of time to reading. It doesn't really matter what time of day, just force yourself 
to spend that time reading. The more you read, the more you will love it, and it will become eventually as natural as breathing as it already is for me. I walk around my cottage constantly with my nose in a book and have done since I could learn to read. <laughs> the science of literature isn't for everyone, of course, but the stories are. Stories are what make us human. Ever since we had proper language, we've been telling stories to each other to overcome our fears, to understand the world better, to become, in a sense, better humans. So reading isn't just the best thing you can do for your brain. It's also, maybe I would argue, the best thing you can do for your soul. And after you start really seriously reading, after you start really seriously studying literature, your whole view of everything changes. You start to see things in a text you never saw before. Stories tell us how to live, and especially they tell us why. And when you start seeing both what is deep within and also beyond a story, you connect the dots and make out the link between the fictional and the real. Your mind will always be aware of a parallel universe where every text is an experience that's carried to you and in turn you carry to others. Reading isn't any longer a simple act of entertainment or pleasure or something done simply to pass the time. It becomes an agency for development. Literature is always about a story, just as life is all about stories. In some of these stories, you'll be the protagonist. In others, you're just a minor character. Life is made up of many layers and layers and layers of stories, and somehow all these stories are connected. Studying literature taught me how to appreciate them, how to see through the many layers of each story and marvel at the fact that we, human beings, have so much in common, so much to learn from one another, and so much to share. Learning how to analyze a story gives me, and can give you, the chance to fully live this experience, both mentally and emotionally, as well as discover more about the beautiful and mysterious ways of my life, your life, and the life of all creatures on earth. And there is such power in these stories. In Plato's Republic, poets were to be banned from the ideal city. Did you know that? They were feared for their assumed power to satisfy and delight audiences' emotions and especially for changing their perceptions. So the power of literature to change perceptions of the self has been discussed for thousands of years. Literature gives you the opportunity to revisit concepts of life and how you relate to others. The reader's subjective experiences are important in the transformative process. When we read stories, it's very typical that we revisit our own past memories. We understand what the characters go through by remembering similar situations from our own past. And that way, we can reshape concepts about ourselves and even eventually choose to act differently. So, I do believe, I do believe from the depths of my soul that reading fiction will invariably affect your perception of yourself and others. 
And in fact, studies have shown that it can also have an impact on creativity and language awareness. Now, I've written a lot already about the connection between fiction and empathy. And that may be the greatest and most important transformation of all. Because to my mind, it's empathy that changes the world. Thanks for joining me. This has been Writing Muse and Writing Mentor. I look forward to talking with you again. This is Jeanette de Beauvoir, and goodbye for now.